Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. It's been an exciting couple weekends here at uh, FBC. Two weeks ago, we had Jingle Jam. Uh, thanks to Jana for organizing that. It was a great event. Uh, about between 250, 300 people here for that. And then last night, uh, Cornerstones had their traditional Christmas banquet and over 250 people for that. And so we've had over 500 people in church for outreach events in the last couple weeks. And so uh, we just want to thank the Lord for the opportunity to do that, for the people that have put the work into those things. That's absolutely amazing uh, to put the time in energy into that so thank you if you've volunteered if you've prayed if you've taken part in those events thanks for making them happen it's exciting to see uh, opportunities for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ Uh, this morning we're starting our series it's called anticipation Um, we're looking at God's plan of salvation the fact that God saw this far in advance and that he wanted to provide salvation for us this week I get to look at the plan Uh, next week Doug is going to take us through the prophecies these these bits of information that God laid for years before Jesus came so that we knew who that we would know who Jesus was and we wouldn't have any doubt that the Savior had arrived and then Doug's going to look on on the 18th at the peace that God gives us through a relationship with him and then on Christmas Eve um, I'm excited to be able to do our thing on proclamation the fact that the shepherds heard the news and they couldn't help but share that with other people and that's what we as believers in Jesus Christ will be doing as well or need to be doing as well as to proclaim the message so it's going to be a great series I'm excited about it and we're looking forward to digging in this morning so let's open with a word of prayer and then get right into the message Father I just want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the ability, Lord, to to be here, for the privilege of being here. Lord, for worshiping you. Uh, Lord, for being able to give to you, Lord, and now to be able to just receive from your word. Um, Lord, I pray again that it's not merely a traditional or academic experience, Lord, but we're here to learn and to hear from you so that we can uh, grow and change and according to the way that you want us to. So I just thank you in your name. Amen. So anticipation, the Cambridge Dictionary defines anticipation as a feeling of excitement about something that is going to happen in the near future. And I think this time of year lends itself well to understanding what uh, anticipation means. As we we think about the the coming season, if you're a student, you're looking forward to the fact that school is almost done. University students, exams are probably just starting, uh, but they will be done soon and you're going to have some time off. High school, elementary students, you know, you've got a few weeks left, but then you have a couple week break. You're anticipating that. You're looking forward to that with excitement. Um, If you're, you know, we've got people from away or family you're traveling to, you're anticipating being able to visit them and the time that you're going to spend with them. You know, maybe you're like us and you just can't wait for your kids to get home. Uh, They're coming in to visit over the Christmas break and you're super excited about that. Um, So there's so many different things um, that we have to look forward to and that we have uh, to anticipate. 
One of the things that I really anticipated over the Christmas break growing up and still do are the, the numerous treats that are available uh, at Christmas time. Maybe you do as well. Uh, two of the ones that, that I always anticipated, eggnog, that was huge, and my mother's chocolate peanut butter balls. Those two things were, were they appeared only at Christmas time, and I made sure to ingest a year's worth of those treats in the three weeks that they were available. They were so good. I was so excited, looking forward to having those. And another uh, tradition that I have always anticipated, even as a young kid, uh, was the Christmas Eve service. It was always so fun. It was always so busy and people reconnecting with each other and just the privilege of sharing the birth of Jesus and the good news of the gospel with people. It was always something that really looked forward to. And of course, speaking of that, we would love uh, you to be inviting people out to our Christmas Eve service. We have a four o'clock service, 5.30 and 7. And uh, again, it's an opportunity for people to hear the gospel of Jesus. We got some really neat elements planned for the service. So looking forward to having you guys out for that. But there are so many things to anticipate to look, and to look forward to. Sometimes, though, anticipation um, causes us to be a little bit anxious because we're anticipating that something's going to make us maybe uncomfortable or awkward. This happened to me the other day. I went to my doctor, had to get some prescriptions refilled, and then I get there, and they decide it's time for a blood test and an EKG. And I'm like, oh, whatever. You know? And so I dutifully went and did that after procrastinating for over a month. I went and got the blood test done, and... and uh, Sitting there, and the lady's like, oh, you need to do an EKG. And I'm like, man, I don't remember having one of those. What, what all happens? And this lady's super friendly, super nice. And she's like, oh, we just put these things on your chest and your legs. And I thought, okay, this is cool. And the first thought that came to my mind when she said she's going to be sticking these things on my leg was, I didn't bring any shorts. Like, I was like, oh, no. Like, and I'm starting to anticipate this awkward moment of, how are you going to stick these thingies on my leg when I got my jeans on, right? And so I'm like, and I said it right out loud to the lady. Oh, I didn't even bring my shorts. And this nice lady didn't say a thing, right? She just kind of ignored that comment and let me just stew and sit on that for a while, right? And so then we go into the examiner room and there's, we call them Johnny shirts out east. I think you call them medical exam robes. Like, there's none of those hanging there. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be ugly, right? I uh, just like, this is not cool. And that nice lady, I thought she was so nice. She, I think she had a mischievous streak in her. Because all I had to do was roll up my pant leg and she put it on my calf, right? And I'm like, if you could have told me that, you would have saved all this negative anticipation that I was going through. I don't know what those blood tests are going to show. You know, the stress level like way out of this world. But anyway, so sometimes as we anticipate, we're looking forward to something good. Sometimes it can make us uncomfortable. But today, as we look at anticipation, we're going to see God's anticipation of his plan of salvation. The fact that before he even created the world, and I think the word for God is not anticipated, he foreknew what was going to happen. And that he put a plan in place to restore us to himself. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at three verses that really show us that this plan wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. It wasn't like God saw Adam and Eve sin in the garden and go, uh-oh, what do we do now? Right? It wasn't that moment. It was a, hey, I know what's going to come when I create the world, and this is how it's going to be dealt with. And so we're going to look at three verses. We're going to look at those really quickly, and then we're going to go back and look at each one a little bit deeper. Each element that is in those verses, we're going to look at those a little bit deeper. So let's begin with Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and it says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. 
And literally that word, uh, before the ages began, it literally means before eternal times. So before eternal times, God had a plan for us to live with him in eternal life. Did Adam and Eve's sin thwart that plan? Absolutely not. He knew what it was going to take to restore us to eternal life. And so before the world was even formed, he promised eternal life. The second element that we see is, is that Jesus, or God, also knew what it was going to cost him. 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Again, this was a predetermined plan of God. If I am going to create the world and if I am going to create the human race and if I am going to have eternal life with them, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me dearly. It's going to cost me the life of my son, that his blood will have to be shed so that eternal life can be available to those who believe. And God said, I'm still going to do it. And then the third verse is this in Ephesians 1, 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Again, God's plan before the foundation of the world was to provide a way for us to be declared holy and blameless before him and then for us to act holy and blameless before him. So this was the plan of God. This is, this is God's plan that I'm going to make a race of people and I'm going to uh, uh, give them the promise of eternal life and that eternal life is going to come at a cost to me and I am going to give them the means of being holy and blameless. And so this is, is a crazy thing as you think of God in eternity, looking at this, weighing, doing the math, looking at what's going to cost him and wanting to bestow love on us, wanting to have relationship with us and saying, I've done the math and this plan is good and I'm gonna follow through on it. So let's pop back to Titus chapter one and it says, in hopes of eternal life, which God who never lied promised before, lies, uh, promised before the ages began. And again, God's plan has been to have an eternal personal relationship with you and with me. That's his desires that we're in that relationship with him. As we think about the creation of the world, I, I, I go back to that so many times and you just think how amazing that is. As you think about reading Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two and you think of the power of God on display there. And you see him speaking and, and all of creation coming into being, the earth is formed and then the water is separated from the dry land at his command. And then the animals are created and the plants are created. And, you know, I've just tried to picture that through. And I think that uh, C.S. Lewis and the magician's nephew does a really brilliant job of describing sort of this creation process just in a way that we can picture. Of course, Aslan the lion, the, the, the picture of Christ, walking through Narnia before it's, it's been really populated or developed and singing his song and the, the animals bursting out of the ground and plants bursting out of nowhere and, and different things along those lines. It's a brilliant picture by Lewis of, of this creation of the world. And as we read through this creation story in Genesis chapter one and two, God's speaking and the world being formed. And we see at the end of that creation week, God, God pauses really from speaking and it says, you know, let's make man in our image. And then it says this, that he formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into him the breath of life. 
I think this is interesting, and it, it just highlights the, the, the personal nature that God wants to have with you and with me. That he formed man, he breathed into him the breath of life, and he gives him that ability to live in peace with him. And as I think about Adam and Eve, I, I can't help but think about how fortunate they were, how blessed they were. And as you think about them, they didn't even know sin. They didn't know what sin was. God had warned them not to disobey him, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one restriction on them. But Adam and Eve, as people, were the freest people that have ever lived except for Jesus Christ before they fell. Because Adam and Eve, everything that they do, did was pure. They never once, before they fell, they didn't have to battle with, should I say that or should I not say that? How do I react to him? How do I react to her in this situation? They never had to struggle with doing the right thing or the wrong thing because all they could think was good and right. And they had total freedom. They had this relationship with God where they they knew when he was present with them and they would talk to him. And he gave them instructions. They were not ashamed. They were not afraid of him. They were the freest people who ever lived. And that was the relationship that God intended. They didn't even think about death. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a, a reality for them. God had warned them that if they eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, death would come. But other than that, death was not a reality. They were totally, totally free. And God had said, this is what I desire. Good relationship with you. But then we jump ahead to Genesis chapter 3. And we see that Satan disguises himself as a serpent and he tempts Adam and Eve. He tempts them to eat the fruit, but we have to understand it was, it was much more than just eating a piece of fruit that Satan was tempting them to. He was tempting them to reject God. He was tempting them to say, you know what, God, we've got this. We don't need you. We don't need you to be at peace. We don't need you to be happy. We don't need you to be fulfilled. We don't need you for life. And when they ate that fruit, they were rejecting life. They were rejecting God. They were rejecting peace. And they didn't, I don't think, fully realize that. God had warned them of the consequences. But we see in Genesis 3, verses 8 to 11, we see this. After they ate the fruit, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Adam and Eve hadn't anticipated the feeling that they experienced when they ate the fruit. I'm sure they they anticipated some sense of enlightenment, this higher knowledge that they would gain. I'm sure that they anticipated some sort of power maybe coursing through their veins because Satan, the serpent, had said, you will be as gods. And they they thought, man, then, then there's this next level that I can achieve. But none of that is what they experienced. In fact, what they experienced right away was shame. What they experienced right away was fear. And they were, they were hiding from God, the one who they used to enjoy his presence, the one that used to speak to them and they, they loved his presence, they're now hiding from because they know they deserve the consequence of their action. They know they deserve death. And Satan had promised life and he offered, he, what he delivered was death. He promised freedom, but he offered slavery. 
And here in the garden, as God confronts Satan and Adam and Eve, he begins to expand on the, the punishment that's, that's coming from, from, from Adam and Eve, for Adam and Eve. And he talks to Satan, though, and he says this. He talks to Satan in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And here, right away, right in the confrontation, the first confrontation in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned, God is giving a promise. He's given a promise. He's looking at Satan, the one who led humanity in temptation, and they chose to follow him. And he's saying to Satan, you know what? There's coming a person. There's coming an individual. And you're going to afflict that individual, yes, but he is going to crush you. And so at the very beginning, at the first confrontation after sin, God is already dictating and laying out his plan, saying, hey, there's coming a way that the consequences of sin are going to be reversed. There's coming a way that people are going to be able to um, be restored from this choice that they have made. And again, the plan included the entrance of Jesus into this world. As we gear up towards Christmas, and all the anticipation, all the excitement, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus put on human skin and came into this world. John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, of God, a son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And again, as John is referring to the word, he's referring to Jesus. He's saying Jesus existed eternally with the Father. And part of the plan was that Jesus would become human so that we could be restored to, to, to himself. John chapter 1, uh, 12 and 13 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And again, we see this, this change. We see in Genesis chapter three the separation. We see in Genesis chapter three the consequences, but we also see that promise that there's a plan to restore this. And then Jesus comes in human flesh and it says that as many as received him to them, he gave he the right to become the children of God. God's means of restoring us to himself is Jesus. And Jesus taking our place. It says in 1 John 5, 11 to 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And here the statement is, is clear. And God is saying the only way to have eternal life is to have the son. To have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, our natural reaction, our sinful natural reaction that, that we inherited when, when Adam and Eve sinned says, I want to be my own God. I want to determine my own course. I want to choose my own destiny. I want to earn my own way into eternity. And the Bible's so clear. It's not possible. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And God wants to invite you into that relationship. He wants you to have the Son. He wants you to place your faith and trust in the Son so that you can know that you are a child of God and that you have eternal life with Him. One of the rewards, many rewards of having the Son, but we see this in 1 Corinthians 15. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, 
and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death came as a result of sin, but Jesus came into this world to to overcome the power of sin, to overcome the power of death. And he is the one who gives us victory um, through faith in him. And so that leaves us with that promise of eternal life. God giving us that means of, of restoring eternal life. It also opens up that door of, okay, so it's through Jesus, but, but at what cost? At what cost? How did Jesus attain this for us? And that's First Peter, knowing that we were ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Our restoration to God and our victory over death is a gift from God. It's not something that we can earn. I think Christmas sort of highlights for us the cost of gift giving. We understand that there's a a price to pay in order to give a gift and offer a gift to somebody else. I looked up some pretty interesting gifts over the week, and if you've got a sneakerhead in your family, somebody that likes sneakers, and you really wanted to splurge this Christmas, and you wanted to get them a, a, a real nice pair of sneakers, you could get the Travis Scott Air Jordan 1 High OGs for a nice cool price of $5,475. I've looked at these shoes, they're, they're just shoes, they're pretty cool, but they're, you know, 5,000 is a little bit of money. Maybe uh, you got a, a lady in your life that would like a purse or a handbag. Apparently there's a difference. I'm not sure what that is, but there's a purse or a handbag, and you'd really like to splurge. Well, Louis Vuitton would like to help you out with that, and he has a tribute patchwork bag um, that you could pick up for $45,000, you know, if you wanted to buy that purse. But if you really wanted to spoil your pastor, all right, your associate pastor, let's get that straight, not the pastor, all right? The associate pastor. If you really wanted to spoil him, you wanted to get him some classic American muscle for a vehicle, uh, you could look for the 1962 Shelby Cobra CSX 2000. You'd have to get it at auction, and it last sold for $13.75 million. So, I mean, hey, why not, right? Splurge a little. Um, again, outlandish gifts outlandish prices, and you think about how how ludicrous it would be to pay that kind of money for those things. But then we think about the gift that God offers. We think about the outlandish cost for him to offer us restoration. For those of us who rejected him, willfully chose to disobey him, willfully chose to go our own way, willfully chose to basically say to him, get out of my life, I don't need you. He looks at us and says, I'll pay a price for you. And I'll pay the price of the blood of my son. And I will allow my son to die in your place so that you can be restored to me. It's a fantastic price. Far exceeds any gift any person could give. It's absolutely amazing. And throughout the Old Testament, God gives us a number of pictures of what this sacrifice would look like and it gives us some, some ideas of, of what you know, these people were anticipating back before Jesus came. And there's a number of those. I just want to look at one with you real quick. It's the the Israelites, they were in slavery in Egypt. They were begging God to release them from that slavery. And God listened, and he sent Moses. He says, Moses, it's time to go and to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. 
And Moses goes and he appears before Pharaoh and there's this ongoing yes, no battle with Pharaoh and God responds with plagues to, to, to convince the Pharaoh that, that God is more powerful than the Egyptian gods and God is more powerful than the Pharaoh himself. There's this ongoing battle and finally at the end of it, God says to Moses, get the people ready. This time Pharaoh will not say no to you. And he said to Moses, I'm going to send a plague throughout the land, and that's the plague of death, and it's going to be the firstborn of every household, the firstborn of of all the flocks throughout the entire land of Egypt. And that's where the people of Israel lived. That's where the children of Israel lived. They were also in that land where this plague was going to pass through. But God says, "I I got a plan so that the people of Israel can be spared from this plague. He says, I want you to take a lamb, And I want you to choose a lamb. And then Exodus 12 picks up that story and it says this. Moses has given the instruction to the people. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And again here, there's this picture, there's this amazing picture of Jesus in this Passover, in this time where where God stopped the plague from from impacting the people who put the blood on the doorpost. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, and that lamb had to be specially chosen, had to be spotless, without blemish. And then the interesting thing, it had to be set aside. It was selected on the 10th day, but not killed to the 14th day. They had to examine it carefully to make sure it was truly pure, truly without blemish to be able to offer this as a sacrifice to God. You know, Jesus came into this world, the Son of God in in human flesh. And he just didn't come and appear as a man and and within a few days die in in our place. He was born as a little baby, grew up to about 33 years old. All that time, giving time for him to be examined given time to prove that he was without sin, showing over and over again when he was tempted that he would not bend, he would not break, he would not give in to temptation. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus came, and really he allowed himself to be examined, to be proven to be without sin. And that is what made him capable, that was made it possible for him to die in our place because he was without sin. The wages of sin is death. What we earn for sin is death. Jesus never earned that penalty. He never deserved that penalty. And yet he took it upon himself on the cross. Isaiah 53, four to six says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our freedom came at an amazing price. The fact that the perfect, blameless Son of God came into this world and bore our sins. I'm just going to give you a minute. I want you to read that verse uh, again, but I want you to take out those plural pronouns. Surely he is born, and instead of the hour, I want you to read it as my. And then I want you to read, he has carried my sorrows, yet I esteemed him. 
I just want you to read that for a minute. Reflect on the fact that God's death, that Jesus' death on the cross, isn't just an epic event in history that we look back at and that we study. But it's an event in history that, that we contributed to through our sin. That he bore our sins in his body. I'm just going to let you read that for a minute, and then I'll continue on. I hope we never forget how personal the death of Jesus Christ is. I hope we never forget that, that we contributed to that. For those times when, when we were jealous of somebody else's possessions or accomplishments, Jesus died on the cross for us. Um, for, the time that, um, for the time that we looked at, at somebody else's, uh, again, those possessions, we, we wanted those. Um, other times when we maybe lusted after somebody that wasn't our spouse. Maybe the time when we cheated on our taxes or cheated on a test. The time when we spread gossip about somebody just to hurt them, to undermine them. All of those things, we were contributing to the death and the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about that, have you ever felt the weight of your sin? Have you ever experienced that conviction of the Holy Spirit that you have done wrong before God? You know how that weighs on you? You know the heaviness of that, that, that guilt you feel until you confess it? I felt that weight. I'm sure you felt that weight. And I got thinking this week, what an incredible weight Jesus bore. Because he wasn't just being convicted like we were of sin, one sin that we had committed. He was bearing in his body the sin of the entire world, the weight of the entire world. The shame and a fear that, that Adam and Eve experienced, he experienced. The shame that we feel before God, Jesus experienced, not because he deserved it, not because he earned it, but because he took it on himself to make the sacrifice for our sin so that we could be restored uh, to eternal life. The third verse that we looked at is Ephesians chapter 1-4, and it says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Here's the amazing thing. When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to be forgiven, to enter into that presence of God unashamed. As he takes the penalty from our sin, not only does he remove the penalty from sin, but in, in that place, he puts, or the word is imputes, places on our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me based on my record and my deeds. He looks at me on basis of Jesus' record and Jesus' deeds, with his, without sin. So that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we can confidently know this verse is true in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Adam and Eve hid from God in shame. Because of the eternal plan of God, God invites us to enter boldly into his presence. God invites us to be confident and to come before him and know that we're welcomed as children, know that we're welcomed to be there to ask for help, 
to worship and to praise him with pure hearts, pure minds, because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And there's a second part to that holy and blameless as well. There's that practical side of it. If God has gone to such great lengths to provide um, the entrance into his presence, if he's gone such great lengths to restore that relationship, we have a responsibility to live holy and blameless lives in front of the people around us. We were created to show the character and nature of God. That is what our purpose is. That is why we were here. That is why we get to, to, to look forward to eternity. We get to look forward because of what Christ has accomplished for us. So this week, I would, just, I would just challenge you. Again, are you living a life, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, are you living a life that people would say, that's a unique life, that's a, that's a holy life. Are we gonna be perfect? Absolutely not. We are going to mess up. And part of that holy and blameless life is going back and apologizing to the people that we've hurt. Or going back and apologizing, even if the people don't even see that we've done something maybe wrong or, or hurt them, just going back and say, you know what? My attitude in that situation wasn't really good. That's not the nature and character of Christ that I wanted to show. And go back and to say, hey, this is what I want to demonstrate to you. This is what I want to show. I want to show you what my Savior is like, what my God is like, not what my human instincts are, are like. And so today, if you're here, you know Jesus, you know, it's that time to commit, say, hey, I want to live a holy and blameless life. I want to spend time in God's word. I want to spend time with other people who will build me up and equip me to go out and show the love, the character, and nature of Christ to those around me. We want a desire to grow in him. And maybe you're here this morning and you, you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never asked him uh, to, to forgive your sins. You've never acknowledged that, that he is that only way and you want to receive that. The other great thing about Christmas is that it really teaches us a lot about receiving gifts. All of our lives, somebody has handed us a gift at this time of season and we take it, we open it, and, and we enjoy it. You know, or we re-gift it, one of the two. All right, but we, we are used to receiving gifts, right? God's gift requires just that, that we receive it. That when he offers that gift to us and he offers that gift to all people, he just wants us to receive it by faith. Say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I understand that I've tried to be my own God and it's just not gonna work out. I've tried to master my own destiny, but I understand the end result is separation from you. I understand that. And I understand there's nothing that I can do to repair the damage that has been done. But God, I just wanna receive what Christ accomplished for me on the cross through shedding of his blood so that I can be welcomed into your family and have confidence that I am part of your eternal family and have an eternal relationship with you. It's just receiving that. It's just a matter of crying out to God and say, yep, I want that. I want that a part of my life. And if you want to do that today, just you can do that right now where you're sitting. Simply talk to God and say, I want to receive that gift that you offer. And the Bible says it will be granted to you. So I'd encourage you to do that today. So let's pray. We're going to close this part of the service. I'm going to ask our servers to, servers to come up, and then we will have our communion service. But let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. God, I thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. Lord, as we anticipate the Christmas season and the hustle and the bustle and the fun, and, and Lord, I just want to pray that you would also help us to really pause, not just at the Christmas time, but all year, to acknowledge the cost that 
you endured so that we could be restored to you. Father, I just want to pray uh, that we would just focus on that this morning. Thank you that you did the math. Thank you that before the world is made, you said, I know what it's going to cost me and it's worth it to me to do this. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take full advantage of that, that we enjoy the peace that we'd have with you. In Jesus' name, amen. This time we'll just call the servers forward and we'll take part in our communion service. Again, as we take part in communion, there's two elements. Uh, There's the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus and the juice that represents the blood that he shed on our behalf. Communion is a remembrance. It's a celebration of what Jesus accomplished through us through his death and resurrection. And it's a public statement that we are living in communion, that we're living in fellowship with him. It's by no means a statement that says, hey, I'm perfect, I've got this all together. But it's a statement that says, I'm striving with the power of the Holy Spirit to live in good fellowship with God. This morning, if you've not yet placed your faith and trust in Christ, I'd just encourage you to to pass that by. Again, it's a statement of a relationship with Christ. And if it's not there yet, that's okay. Just let that pass by. And again, if you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus and there's sin in your life that you know that uh, you're just not going to let go of quite yet, Again, the public statement is that I'm, I'm striving and that I'm, I'm, I'm in fellowship with God. And so if you know you're hanging on to some sin and, and you're not, not willing to let that go, again, just let that, that communion cup pass by you. You're, you know, it's a statement of fellowship. It's a statement of closeness. And if that's not true in your life, just let that pass by. Uh, and, and, you know, just consider, you know, repenting, handing that sin over to God and confessing it to him. Oh, I'm just going to ask the servers to take the elements and, and distribute them now, please. Before we take the elements together, I just want to read a passage of Scripture for you from Colossians. Just a reminder of what Christ has accomplished for us. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to, ins- to share in the inheritance of the saints in light and transferred us to the kingdom of the, the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's take communion together. Thank you for being with us this morning. Keep in mind uh, that there are people out there just waiting to be invited to our Christmas Eve service. I mean, you don't have to wait till then. You can invite them to church as well. Uh, but if you'd like to, to invite them to Christmas Eve service, um, yeah, just, just don't hesitate to do that. We'd love to see a lot of new faces here. I received a sad message while I was preaching. Um, there are no donuts this morning. Um, so we'll figure that out and, and we'll see. Uh, maybe we can get them next week. But I'm not sure exactly what happened. But just enjoy some fellowship without food in your hand. All right, have a great day.